So if you are anything like me, you have commitment issues. You both hate committing to things and you overcommit yourself. So you hate committing to things because you have FOMO, right? Like FOMO is a real thing. And so we don't want to sign up for fall retreat until the deadline because what if something greater comes along? What if these people show up? What if I get invited to this? What if I'm able to go to this? And so we decide to wait to the last minute to commit. I have a trick. Whenever anybody asks me, hey, Jordan, would you guys like to come over on a Friday night? I always say, I'll have to check with Carlin first because I can blame it on her now if we don't go. And so I'm not committing. I'm leaving it ambiguous and I, she becomes the bad guy. Carlin, does that happen a good bit? All the time. So, Mr. Poe, you've probably heard me say that. Mr. Isham, you know, I've been, uh, Hopkins, I've probably done that to you guys. I just can't help it. Not that I don't want to be there, but I just always blame it on Carlin. Uh, it's almost too natural. Uh, but I also have this problem of overcommitting. See, on Tuesday this week, I was supposed to be at a pastor's luncheon and teaching at the Blend BSM at noon, no matter what. Like, this was something I was supposed to do. I was supposed to be meeting with students on Thursday. Michael Horn called me and said, hey, where are you? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm off today. I committed to being with my family who was in town, and I also committed to being with him. I overcommit myself, and I get myself into trouble. So, as I said, I have commitment issues, both overcommitting and avoiding commitment all at the same time. This morning, though, we're going to look at how Moses gets signed up to commit to this calling for God. Moses is uh, called in chapter 3. If you remember, thus far in Exodus, we have seen that God is silent for 400 years. The people begin to cry out. God is working kind of in the silence, but then the people cry out. And when the people cry out, God remembers his covenant with his people and he decides to act. He decides to make a change, to bring them out of Egypt. And then how is he going to do that? Chapter 3, verse 10 tells us to Moses, when the burning bush is happening and all that, he says, come, I am going to send you to Pharaoh to deliver my people out of Egypt. And so this morning, what we are going to look at is Moses' five rebuttals to God's call. Moses says five statements back to God, kind of arguing or clarifying or understanding the call that God has placed on his life. So we're going to break those five down this morning quickly. Number one, Moses asks a fine question. Who am I? Who am I? Verse 11, it says this, and these will be on the screen. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God responds, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses asked a very direct question and an honest question. Who am I that I can go into Pharaoh and demand this? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? I'm a fugitive on the run. Remember last time I was in Egypt, I killed somebody and I had to flee. Remember, I am wanted man. I am wanted to be killed by the Pharaoh. What he doesn't know yet maybe is that the Pharaoh that was wanting to kill him has now passed. But Moses also has some good uh, excuses, right? I, I've not been a slave. I don't know the, the pains that my people have gone through. 
My reputation is ruined. Last time they saw me, I was a murderer. How can I help? I lost their trust. Who am I? In light of the call of God on his life, Moses is faced with the smallness of who he is. Who am I and what can I even do? Moses isn't necessarily turning down God's invitation, but he's questioning God's choice. He's looking at his qualifications and he's saying, can't you find someone better? Who am I that I could step into this role? You've probably been there. Who am I to do this? Who am I to stand up to this? Who am I to go against the tide? Who am I to do something different? Who am I to lead people, my peers? Who am I? God says in a verse that'll be similar to what he tells Moses' protege in Joshua. He says, I will be with you. I am working. I am on your side. I am fighting beside you and alongside you or before you. Moses at this point has a minimal knowledge of who God is. Remember, he only knows of this God from passed down stories of his great, great, great grandparents. Moses is saying, what I am having to believe this who am I to step up to this? Then Moses, after he gets, I am with you, he offers another question, his second rebuttal. Who are you? Verses 13 through 15, it says this. Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I think Moses has another legitimate question. Who are you? When I show up on whose credentials, on whose authority, uh, how can I even step up to this role? Who should I say is sending me? This isn't a task I'm taking on by myself. Who is sending me on this task? Who am I an ambassador of? Who am I a messenger of? Who is going to deliver them? He's asking these questions because he has to understand who are they going to trust? Who are they trusting in? Me, Moses, or in something greater? Tell me who you are. Moses needs validity. And this is where Moses is given the name of God. You've probably heard this. I am, right? I am who I am. Moses understands who the God he is speaking to. This word I am can also be translated, and it's probably a few commentators have noted, was heard to Moses as I create or I sustain. I am the one who has made all things and the one who is holding all things together. I am in the present shows that I have been in the past. I am working now and I will be. God that he is worshiping is the everlasting God, the God over all things, the God who causes to be because he causes to be, as it says in some commentaries. He is speaking to the creator, the sustainer, the ruler, and the one that has ruled, and the one that will rule. 
He goes on to say, I am the Lord, Yahweh, is what we will begin to call him here on out. The God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is not probably a new name, but a further clarification of a name that Moses has probably heard from a long time ago. God doesn't go with a new name because a new name is a new God that they would have to understand. Instead, he is connecting it to something in their past that they can relate to, that they can trust in. Moses says, who am I? He says, I am with you. Moses says, who are you? He says, I am the God that has worked from way back in the day with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and these stories that you know that have brought you through famine, that have blessed you, that have given you land, that yes, you are in uh, tyranny and oppression right now, but I am with you. Then Moses says, well, can you prove it? We're not going to read verses uh, 1 through 9 in chapter 4, but what Moses does is he says, I need proof. You're calling me to do this. You're asking me to go on this journey of faith. I need proof that you are what you say you are. I remember there was a time I thought I needed proof. So when we were 22 years old, I was going to ask Carlin's, um, Carlin's parents for their blessing to marry Carlin. So I was graduated from college and Carlin was getting her master's degree. I was working full time as a, a math teacher at a local high school and Carlin was going to graduate in May. The plan was we were going to get in, married in May, move to Birmingham so then I can go to grad school. So I remember planning this out that I'm about to ask for their blessing to marry their daughter and they know that I'm about to quit my job. It's not a great way to take care of your family that you're signing up for. So I decided I was going to have some proof. So what I did is I made an Excel spreadsheet with a monthly budget based on what I think we can do to live. I then met them at Barnes & Noble and sat in the cafe outside while Carlin didn't know they were in town yet, and I presented them the Excel spreadsheet and I showed them proof that I can take care of your daughter. I don't think they looked at it for more than five seconds and they just said, Jordan, we trust you. We don't need proof. But proof helps us feel better that what we are about to journey into, it can happen. I honestly think the proof was more for me than for them. What we are signing up for, I need proof that it will be able to happen. Moses says, I need proof. God doesn't seem to worry about giving him proof. Over those nine verses, he says, all right, you see that staff you have in your hand? Throw it on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground and it turns into a snake. Such a scary snake that Moses runs away because he's terrified. Eventually, God says, he convinces him to come back towards the snake. I don't know if God would have ever gotten me back, but he convinces Moses back to the snake and he says, I want you to pick that snake up and it's going to turn back into a staff. So Moses reaches down. I don't know if he had his field guide out to see if it was a poisonous snake or not, but he reaches down and he grabs the snake and it becomes a staff again. God is showing that he is powerful over creation. But God says, I got another one for you as well. He said, you see your hand, stick it in your cloak. And Moses sticks it in his cloak. He says, all right, now pull it out. And when Moses pulls it out, it is covered in skin disease, some kind of leprous disease. Moses, I guess, would be freaking out because he's now unclean, right? And God is saying, look what I just did. And then he says, stick your hand back in your cloak and pull it back out. And it comes out clean. God is showing that he is more powerful than any disease known to man. Finally, he says, if they don't believe those two, 
I've got one more proof for you. He says, go get some water out of the Nile. Pour it on the ground. He pours the water on the, to the ground. He says, it is now going to become blood, and the water becomes blood right there in front of him. We might think that God is showing, once again, power over uh, biology or whatever science that would be, chemistry, I guess. Um, yes, he is showing that, but really what he is showing is that the Egyptians worshiped the God of the Nile. It was their sustenance. Life would not exist if not for the Nile. It's how their crops grew because the Nile flooded and then it turned into fertile soil. It's how they sustained their water. It's how they bathed. It's how they got all that they needed. And God, when he turns the water into blood, he is saying, I am greater than the God of the Nile. I am the greatest God, the most high God. You need proof? Here you go. I don't mind showing you because I can show off and show out because this is who I am. Moses has said, who am I? Who are you? And I need proof. Now, questions four and five, I think he gets into a little bit of doubt. Or statements four and five, I think he gets into a little bit of doubt. Verses 10 through 12, Moses says this. Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. Moses is saying, I'm not good enough. He goes on, or God answers him. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made your mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. There's a lot of variety of ways that you can translate this or uh, interpret this is a better way of saying it. One, some people are guessing that Moses is saying, I have a stutter and nobody's going to listen to me. You might have heard that. Some are saying that Moses is fearful because he has been out of Egypt for so long that he's lost his fluency and his articulateness, if that's even a word, to go and to speak to Pharaoh. I, I can't. I'm not trained enough. I'm not well-versed enough. I'm not good in rhetoric enough. that Mo uh, I can't convince Pharaoh. I'm not good enough. Some even have interpreted this as a statement of humility going, I I'm just not good enough. I view it as Moses is uh, doubting how God has made him. That Moses is, and that God has made a, a mistake in choosing him. I am not enough. I'm not good enough, or wise enough, or able enough, or smart enough. I'm not persuasive enough, or credible enough. Have you felt that before? I'm not good enough. I don't know why you've placed me here. I don't know why you've brought me to this place. I don't know why you're setting me up because I'm just going to fail. I am not enough. And I love God's response to Moses. Who made your mouth? Is it not I? You're doubting who I am and my ability to create. Every spring, we do leadership interviews for uh, our next school year. And one of my questions that I ask every single leader that comes in to interview is, what are your strengths? What are you great at? And every time I ask that question, all the applicants go, well, you know, um, I I'm kind of good at fill in the blank. And I say, no, 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 try that again. What are you great at? Do you maybe remember this? Uh-huh, okay. 
well, I'm just, you know, I guess I'm okay. And then I say, all right, can I teach you something? To deny that you have strengths, to deny that you're great at things, is to deny that God has created you well, that He has created you, created you wonderfully that he has a purpose for you and a plan for you, that he wants to use you and he is proud of you. To sit here and to be overly humble to the point of discounting your abilities is not honoring to God and it is a slap in his face. Instead, you should be able to say, yes, I have been gifted this way. I am good at this. I can do this. Because a denial of it is a denial of who God is and how he's made you. I think God's doing something very similar here. Yeah, you may not be the most articulate. You may not be the best speaker. You may not have the most persuasive arguments. But I'm the one that made you and I'm the one calling you to this. I know who you are and I can use you. I have a plan for you. I am going to work through you. Every single one of us can look at somebody that's better at every single one of our strengths. Every single person in here. So Cynthia, she's a speaker at women's conferences and she's fantastic at it, okay? But I guarantee you, Cynthia could tell you three or four other women that do women's conferences way better than she does. That doesn't say that she's not good or great. And so we don't need to say that I'm terrible at this. But we can also, we can also realize that others are good too. We don't make excuses to get out of this. Finally, that's where Moses lands. Number five, send someone else. God, I, I, you know, we've had a few rebuttals here. I, I'm kind of playing around here. Can't you just see that I don't want to do this? Once you get married one of these days, if you do get married, not because you have to get married, but just if that happens, all right, you're going to have these kind of conversations where you're talking and you start making excuses and asking a bunch of questions, and then finally you get to the point and just go, I just don't want to do it. Okay, like, well, I mean, it'd be kind of difficult, or I don't know if we'll have enough time, or I don't know what to wear. Um, I use that one a lot. Um, and then finally, no, I just don't want to go. Moses finally is honest, I think, in verse 13. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Just send somebody else. I can't. I can't do it. I've tried to come up with other reasons, but I don't want to go, I'm scared, I'm unsure, I'm not enough. Pick someone else. Pick someone better. Someone more qualified, more eloquent, more devoted, more righteous, more equipped. I'm not good enough. Find somebody else. Don't miss how God responds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God has not gotten upset yet. Who am I? I'll be with you. Who are you? Here I am. This is my name. Uh, what, what should I, I mean, can I have some proof? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's three signs. But I'm not really good at this part. That's okay. I got you. I'll be with you. Finally, this angers the Lord. And he says... Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's coming to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in heart, and you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and he will be your mouth. He's saying, okay, I'm frustrated with you now, Moses. 
You've not trusted me. You've not believed in me. I have called you to this. I have answered every question. But now you trying to get out of it ticks me off. He says, but there's still mercy in God's action towards Moses. He says, all right, I'm going to give you help, but you're still going. You're not getting out of this. It's like the Brussels sprouts on your plate when you're eight years old. You're going to eat them, okay? I'm going to put them back or I'll put some cheese sauce on them. I don't know if you do that with Brussels sprouts. I never ate those. Uh, broccoli. Uh, I'll put some cheese on it, but you're going to eat it. Doubt is what angers God. God desires faith, and yet here Moses is doubting. He's already told him, I'm with you. I'm the one that was with your ancestors. I've shown my power over creation, over health, over all the other gods. I have affirmed my ability. I have made provision for you. I am with you. What more do you ask? What more do you require? Why are you doubting me? Why won't you trust me? God is calling Moses to a mighty role, a role bigger than you and I will probably ever play, a role that requires faith daily complete devotion, and it comes with the promise of His presence. But God is calling you and I as well to be His instruments in this world, to be light in the darkness, to be ambassadors and messengers, to be agents of hope and ministers of reconciliation. Through you, God wants to deliver those who are suffering under the slavery of sin, who are ruled by the tyranny of hopelessness and despair. God is sending you as the aroma of Christ into this broken world to love it and to show it His grace, His goodness, to proclaim His gospel, to be like Christ, to be love. You will probably say, like Moses does, who am I? And God will say, I am with you. You will probably say, who are you? And God will say, I'm the one who creates and sustains, who rules and reigns. I am Lord over all. You'll probably say, I need some proof. And God will say, look at what I have brought you through and how I've been with you. You'll probably say, I'm not smart enough, cool enough, attractive enough, interesting enough, devout enough, knowledgeable enough, credible enough. I am not good enough, devoted enough. And God says, I know who you are. I made you. I made you on purpose for a purpose to be used in the plan that I have for you. Why are you doubting me? And then finally, we will just say, tired of making excuses, choose somebody else. I can't do it. I'm too scared. What if I fail? What if they reject me? What if I say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, or go to the wrong place? And God says, don't you remember I'm with you? I'm for you. I'm beside you. Somehow, we have gotten to this place where we believe that becoming a Christian is a one-time act. Saying the sinner's prayer and then we're good. But the Christian life is a daily choice of following, of denying ourselves and taking up our cross, of laying down my desires for God's, of saying yes in faith to what can only be done if God is with us. Last week, we asked the question, what in your life requires faith? This week, I want you to see that daily we are called to step out in faith, 
to live in response to the, call, to the calling that God has placed on all of us. And the only way that we can honor his calling is to live in faith, believing that he is with us, for us, and ahead of us. We will make all of these excuses, but we must believe that he has created us for what he is carrying us to.